You're about to hear a message that was preached at Calvary Fellowship in Miramar, Florida. At Calvary, we exist to help people take their next step with God. And we pray that this message helps you do just that. Hey, I hope you're having a good day. My name is Caleb Kaltenbach. I've actually preached at Calvary before. If it's your first time really engaging with this church, I hope that you're going to keep on engaging. And if I lived in this area, this is the church that I would attend. I hope that you'll keep on watching online. And I can't wait until you all are gathering in person again. As a matter of fact, I was supposed to come in person and preach for you this year. But as you already know, the coronavirus has kind of shifted a lot of our plans. And in that spirit, I love your pastor. Pastor Bob, he has become a dear friend. You have a great team there. I hope that you are regularly praying for him and the team because leading a church during this season is difficult. Leading a church in general is difficult, but leading a church right now is extremely difficult. So please keep on praying for Pastor Bob. Keep on praying for his team. Uh, they need that. He is such a dear friend, and I can't wait to see what God is going to do on the other side of this season because this season is difficult, right? I mean, yeah, we got Carol Baskin, we got murder hornets, we got the UFOs, we got people leaving the royal family. I mean, this year has been crazy, but it's been painful in other ways. Uh, obviously, the economy, obviously, quarantine. Obviously, we've lost people that we've uh, grown up with and celebrated, like Kobe Bryant and his daughter and the other poor individuals who lost their lives in that wreck. But life is just difficult in general. And many of us don't like change. It doesn't take too much for life to overwhelm you in general, but right now, life feels really overwhelming. So I want us to tackle this question today. What do we do when life gets overwhelming? What do we do when we're feeling a lot of pain, when we're feeling a lot of suffering? What do we do when life really starts to get the better of us and we are tempted to do things that God wouldn't want us to do? What do we do when we are tempted to isolate ourselves, act indifferently, devalue other people, uh, speak rudely, gossip, uh, display a lack of trust? Because all of those are toxic emotions. They are toxic ways of, of trying to stabilize how we feel. What do we do when we feel tempted to do that? Because life has us suffering, because life has become overwhelming, because we don't know what else we should do. What I'd like us to do is take a look at the very first book of the Bible. It's in the book of Genesis. And so if, if this is one of your first times engaging with Calvary, I hope that you're going to keep on engaging because this is a place where it's okay not to be okay. We just journey together and follow Jesus. And so if you don't really know much about the Bible, we're going to have the words on the screen here for you in just a minute. But as we really tackle this idea of what do we do when life becomes overwhelming, I want us to take a look at this guy named Jacob. Now, you may not have heard of Jacob. Let me tell you a little bit about him. You probably heard of his grandfather, uh, Abraham. Very famous, very well known. There are even kids' songs written about him. And Jacob's dad, his name was Isaac. And when Jacob was born, he was uh, a set of twins, uh, one of a set of twins. He actually came out grasping his brother Esau's heel. His parents weren't very original with their names. They called Esau uh, red and hairy. That's what Esau means in Hebrew. And then they called Jacob heel grabber. That's what that means in Hebrew. But Jacob kind of takes on a kind of a, a deeper, darker meaning as well, the name Jacob in Hebrew. 
And before I insult all the Jacobs out there, and please, I'm not trying to talk bad about you, let me tell you what my name means in Hebrew. It means dog, like mangy mutt. Okay, so if you think I'm just talking bad about you, I'm not. I'm throwing everybody under the bus. But Jacob in Hebrew means liar, deceiver, manipulator. And when you look at this character that we're going to study today, we're going to study one instance in his life, but if you look at his whole life, he spends a lot of his life wheeling and dealing, trying to trade and bargain, trying to work things out his way so that he will get his way. And it really doesn't work out that well for him. Uh, when one time he swindled his brother Esau, his older brother, out of his birthright, his inheritance, his blessing. Esau got really, really mad and said, I'm going to kill you. And Jacob did what most of us would do. He ran away, far away to get away from Esau. And he went and he lived with his uncle Laban and he married both of his daughters and he married their uh, maids, uh, maidservants. Now, I just, I just want to get this out of the way. Yes, I know that he married his cousins. First of all, this is all the way back in the book of Genesis. Okay, so cut it a little slack. Second of all, take my word for it, you do not want to go climbing around in some of these Old Testament family trees. I mean, most family trees blossom and kind of branch out. Old Testament trees, family trees, especially in the beginning, kind of just go straight up and there's no branching out. So, so trust me, God worked it out. It's not something we should do today but just, you know, hang out with it. So he's got four wives. He's got four mother-in-laws. He amasses a lot of wealth, a lot of kids. He has servants and soldiers and a lot of money, and he has camels and horses and, and everything else. When he gets to be big enough, he leaves his uncle's property and goes out into the desert to try to find another property. And back in those days, when you would go out into the desert, you would send out a couple of scouts a day or two ahead of you so that they could come back and tell you if any danger was coming. Well, much to Jacob's dismay, one day the scouts are coming back to him, which he knows that means trouble is brewing ahead. And they said, hey, your brother Esau is on his way. and He's got a lot of men with him, and he said he wants to talk to you. Now, again, if you were Jacob, you would probably freak out. If I was Jacob, I would freak out because it feels like a reckoning is coming. Now, I don't know what you do when you initially get freaked out. Many of us go into control mode. Maybe we pretend like it's, it's fake news. It's not going to happen. Maybe we're indifferent. I don't, I don't know what your way of handling it is. But here's what Jacob does in Genesis 32, beginning with verse 9. And I love this. Hats off to Jacob for doing this. It says in Genesis 32, beginning with verse 9, Then Jacob said, God of my father Abraham, and God of my father Isaac, the Lord who said to me, Return to your country and to your family, and I will deal well with you. I am not worthy of the least of all the mercies and of all the truth which you have shown your servant. For I crossed over this Jordan with my staff, and now I've become two companies. Deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, lest he come and attack me and the mother with the children. For you said, I will surely treat you well, and I will make your descendants as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. Now that's awesome. What does he do? He prays. That's his first response. And so many of the times I wish that I would pray when something happens. I wish that that would be my first response. Now don't get me wrong, I usually pray, but 
I'd be lying if I didn't tell you that that wasn't always my first response. In this matter, it is. And then, uh, not only does he show us that example of what we should do, he goes into preparation. He gathers together all of his uh, family and he trains them. He says, this is how you fight. We need to get ready. He kind of puts them in a location where they can escape if they need to. And he sends his scouts back with a bunch of money and property. And he says, when you see Esau, tell him that these are gifts from your servant, Jacob. And again, it seems like he's doing all the right things. It, it seems like finally He's not trying to wheel and deal. He's not trying to bargain. He's not trying to trade. He's not trying to get out of the situation. He's not trying to avoid the consequences. But then, as you're reading Genesis 32, you'll come down to the middle of Genesis 32, verse 20, and we get some disappointing news. It's actually insight into Jacob's thinking. Here's what Jacob was thinking. I will appease him, Esau, with the present that goes before me, and afterwards I will see his face, and perhaps he will accept me. So the present went on before him, the scouts, but he himself logged that night in the camp. You see, that just really disheartens me, because in that moment, it shows us that when he prayed at first, that wasn't the main way that he was preparing and responding to overwhelming circumstances. It was merely another thing on the checklist, like sending a gift and preparing people. He's trying to deal all over again. He just chose to pray for the first time. Like, he's got, I've got to cover this base, I've got to cover this base, I've got to cover this base. Hear me out. I'm not saying that it's wrong in any way to pray. We must pray, and then we must prepare. We have to prepare. But going to God should be the ultimate way that we deal with our overwhelming circumstances. And in just a second, we're going to see how we go to God specifically because, again, in this instance, he wasn't really going to God as the main source of the one that can help him resolve his circumstances. He was going to God just trying to check him off the list so that he could take care of his circumstances. Well, they all go to bed that night, and then Jacob wakes up, and he just has this really bad feeling, and he says in the middle of the night, hey, all my soldiers, all my family, children, I want all of you to go. I want you to go all the way away from here and keep on going, and hopefully I will find you, but I need you safe. I don't want them to do anything with you. And so they all leave, and then he is left by himself just hanging on, you know, pacing back and forth at the head of the river, at the riverbed, at the beach of the river. And then something really, really unique happens. Now, hear me out here. If you're not used to reading the Bible on a regular basis, if you've never heard of this story, this is where it gets a little supernatural. I mean, it's like you go from, you know, the Bible telling this story, and then all of a sudden it seems like Tim Burton takes over, and he starts writing the script. He starts filming the movie. And I believe that every single word in that book is true. And so I believe that this is true. So with what I'm getting ready to tell you, I'm just letting you know ahead of time, if you're not used to this story, that it does take a turn for the supernatural. But then when you think about it, there are a lot of things in life that actually kind of take a turn for the supernatural, right? And so let, let's check this out. You'll see what I'm talking about, okay? Going down to Genesis 32, verse 24. Here's what happens. Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. Now when he saw that, Jacob, that he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his hip, and the socket of Jacob's hip was let 
was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, let me go for the day breaks. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, what is your name? He said, Jacob. And he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked, saying, tell me your name, I pray. And he said, why is that that you want to ask about my name? And he blessed him there. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel. For I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. Just as he crossed over the Penuel, the sun rose on him, and he limped on his hip. I told you it was a little crazy, right? I told you it was a little bizarre. Um, it might be a bit much to understand. Um, I know people that have read this story a million times, and they're still kind of puzzled about it. So let me see if I can kind of tell it to you in a different way, and maybe this will make sense. Put yourself in Jacob's shoes. Jacob is pacing back and forth in front of the river, just at the beach of the river. And you can hear him. He's going through his mind. He's like, okay, what else do I need to do? I, I prayed. I've sent ahead the scouts. I've given Esau presents. He's going to know they're from me. I'm sure that'll communicate that I'm sorry. What else do I need to do? I need to, uh, I've sent my, my family away and, and they're going to be protected and all my soldiers are with them. So it's just me. So if he wants to kill anybody, you no, know, is there anything else I can do? And then all of a sudden, like the middle of a horror movie, he's at, he's middle of the night, outside, okay, by a river, and this guy out of the darkness comes out of nowhere and starts wrestling with him. They wrestle for most of the, of the rest of the evening, of the early mornings, which maybe was two or three hours, but that's a long time, right? And then, you know, Jacob's probably thinking, who is this guy? He doesn't give up. And then whoever this, this figure is, he just takes his finger and he touches Jacob's hip and it wrenches out of socket. I mean, this guy's more powerful than Chuck Norris. He just touches his hip and Jacob probably can no longer stand and he falls. The only thing he can do is to grasp on to the guy's knees because if he lets go, he's going to be left laying there on the beach. And I think it's at this point that Jacob realizes this is no ordinary individual he's wrestling with. This is actually God himself. In, in, in a, what we would call a theophany, an appearance of God here on earth, for a brief amount of time, God is wrestling with him. And he's struggling with God. And then God says, hey, let me go. The day breaks. It's almost daybreak. It's almost morning. Now, God's not a vampire, right? I think we can all agree about that. But when he says, let me go, it's almost morning, what he means is, hey, don't you have something to do? You have an appointment coming up here soon, right? It's almost here. Your brother's almost here. You want to probably take care of that. You don't need me anymore. I'll just be going. And because Jacob realizes who this figure is, you can hear him yelling, no! I will not let you go until you bless me. Because he realizes the only thing he can do is to hang on to God for dear life. The only thing he can do, now that he knows who this is, is hope that God will have some kind of mercy on him. He says, I will not let you go until you bless me, until you help me to resolve this situation. God asks him a very, very unique question. 
he asks him, what is your name? Right? It's kind of a a unique question. God already knew his name, right? God had talked to him, and, and he knew his name. But there's more to it. Back in the first century, um, when you asked somebody's name, you, you were actually, in their view, you had power over them. You were, no long, you were no longer equals. You had more authority when you knew that person's name. And so when God is saying, tell me your name, he's really saying, tell me who you are. Be honest and yield. Surrender. And you can just hear Jacob realizing this. And he just probably doesn't just say, my name is Jacob. He says, my name is Jacob. I'm a, I'm a liar. I'm a deceiver. I'm a manipulator. I try to get things my way. My name is Jacob. I, 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 I try to deal. I try to bargain. I try to move the chess pieces wherever I can. My name is Jacob. And I think it's at that moment that God's face went from looking very stern to probably very compassionate, maybe even a smile, the smile of a, of a loving father, of a loving parent. I can hear him saying, no more, my son. That's who you used to be. Your name is Israel. Literally, God fights. That's what it means in Hebrew. And he says, your name is Israel, you've wrestled with God, and you've overcome. It's not that you've struggled with God, and you've overcome God, but you've struggled, and because you have God with you, you have overcome. That's what that means. That's the idea that's trying to be painted there in the original language. And, and a little bit of Jacob's past kind of crops up. You know, the muscle habit, he's been doing it all his life. He's like, well, tell me your name. And God's like, why do you want to know my name? He's like, you already know. Don't do that. We're not going backwards. We're going forwards. Because when you and I follow God, when we follow Jesus, we are always walking away from who we used to be. And we shouldn't turn around and ever go the other way. And so God heals him. And I think it's really interesting that Jacob walks away with a limp. Now, if, if you read uh, the stories about Jacob from here on out, it does refer to his limp here and there because God healed him enough to where he could walk but he didn't heal him fully to where he didn't have a limp. Maybe God wanted him to remember this night. Maybe God wanted him to remember what he did. Then in that moment, he yielded. He confirmed who he was. He let God rename him. He was a new person. Maybe God didn't want all the pain to go away. And I know that's kind of hard to say because sometimes I've found out in my life, some pain goes away completely other times, pain heals to a point, but the wounds are still there. The scars still remain, and you still feel them. Just got, ask a parent who's lost a child. They may heal from that, but never 100%. The pain never really pull, fully goes away, and I don't know if you wanted to. And we'll talk about that in a second. But first of all, if I was really you know, going to describe this whole story in one sentence, if I wanted you to walk away with anything... It's remembering this, that true freedom is found in total surrender. True freedom is found in total surrender. When life gets overwhelming, when pain really crops up, when you are just sick and tired of it and you don't know what to do, surrender to God because your true freedom is found in total surrender. Now, when it comes down to it, 
what are we surrendering to? We are surrendering to the fact that we do not want our, our toxic emotions to control us. We do not want to be enslaved to uh, circumstances that are temporary or anything else. We want to serve God because when it comes down to it, you're a servant of something. You're a servant of yourself. You're a servant of your job, maybe your education, maybe your desires, maybe your pursuits, maybe somebody else. God says, be a servant of me because when you surrender to me, when you follow me, you will find full freedom because you are not just a servant you are a child you join the family and so how do we surrender what does this look like well just based off the text i want to recommend three things that will help us to surrender fully to god to totally surrender so that we can find this freedom that really releases us and gives us joy the first thing is this quit bargaining and wrestling with god I mean, seriously, can I say that one more time? Quit bargaining and wrestling with God. And when I, when I say that, I'm not just saying that to you. I'm saying that to myself, too. Because if there's anybody that really needs to learn this, it's myself. Now, some of you might be thinking, well, I've got this, Caleb. I'm not bargaining or wrestling with God. I've never done that. And I say, don't be a Jacob. Liar, liar, pants on fire. You have, too. Have you ever prayed a prayer like this? God, if you will, then I will. God, if you will help me to get that job, I will tithe finally. I'll give something. Like you think you need that to be able to give. But if you give me this, then I'll give you something, God. You know what? If you help her to go out on a date with me, I will go to church the rest of the year. I'm not going to miss one weekend, except when I'm out of town except when my internet doesn't work, except when I don't feel like it. Maybe I'll be there on Tuesdays, God. Okay, God, if, if you help him to marry me, then I will raise my children up after you. See, here's the thing. God has an attribute that we don't have. He is self-existent. He doesn't rely on anything else for his existence. He doesn't rely on the sun. He doesn't rely on water. He doesn't need time. He doesn't need any of that to exist. And he doesn't need anything like that we can't give him anything, and so bargaining and trading doesn't work with God. It doesn't, yet we do it all the time. We try to bargain, we try to trade, and that really, it, we, we're tricking ourselves into seeing God in an inappropriate way, and that's not who God is. We've got to quit bargaining and wrestling with God, okay? It's God's way or the highway. God doesn't deal, he doesn't trade, he doesn't bargain. He is the one that moves the chess pieces not us. The second thing we got to do is this. Learn how to walk wounded. Learn how to walk wounded. Everybody has scars. And if you have pain in your life, don't run from it. Face it. The worst thing you can ever do is try to ignore your pain or just try to get it over quickly. Here's the deal. Sometimes your pain will remain and we try to avoid pain because pain is powerful. Pain isn't the enemy. Our unwillingness to engage pain and face it head on and to embrace it, that's the enemy. Because, I mean, even the book of Hebrews says that Jesus learned obedience through suffering. Do you know that pain that we have from our mistakes or things that are unfortunately been done to us or uh, maybe uh, things we never wish would have happened? Do you know that even sometimes when we feel the, the pain of the memory of those, we, we should never feel shame, we shouldn't feel guilt when we're forgiven, but what we should feel is it should remind us to drop to our knees and to pray to God. It should remind us to strengthen our convictions. It should remind us to 
really as much as possible help other people and to leverage our pain for the good. And the very last thing I'll say is this. Ask God for a new name. God renamed Jacob Israel. He renamed Saul to Paul. And if you're you're not following Jesus, you can receive a new name. Actually, several names. You'll be called forgiven. You'll be called redeemed. You'll be called a son of God or a daughter of God. In, in that fact that you are not the son of God, but you are a child of God. You are adopted into the family of God. You get several new names when you follow Jesus. But some of us are following Jesus right now. And we are sitting in the toxicity of our emotions. Jesus Christ did not die on the cross to release us from shame and sin and our desires for us to continue to feel shame about them. That's a misappropriation of his blood. He released us so that we can have freedom. For it is for freedom's sake that we have been forgiven so that we may follow him. And that doesn't mean that the pain won't go away, but it does mean that the pain doesn't have to control us. And that we have somebody that may not always remove the pain, but he says, I will sure help you to rise above it. If you focus on me, if you look to me, if you realize that your faith, it surpasses your current circumstances. True freedom is found in total surrender. And so when life gets really overwhelming and pain hits, you got to remember that true freedom is found in total surrender. That you and I need to quit bargaining and wrestling with God. We need to surrender. We need to learn how to walk wounded, and we need to surrender. We need to ask God for a new name, or in some cases, remember who we are and who Jesus died and resurrected for us to be, and we need to surrender. And I hope that all of us can do that, because I think the next few months are going to be tough. I think we can get through this, because we got a God who is powerful, And by the way, before you go to bed tonight, read Revelation 21 and 22. Read the end of the story, because you know what? God wins. That means we win. And that means we have joy coming. And we need to focus on that. Father, thank you so much for this amazing church, for my good friend, Pastor Bob and his family, for the staff and the leaders at Calvary. I pray that you would give them resolve and grit and discipline and joy and humility. I pray that they would set an example. I pray for your blessing on them. Help this to be a time when local churches shine like nothing else. Help us to be ready for what lies on the other side of this season. It's in your son's name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. If today you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. It's one of the best decisions you've ever made. And we as a church want to help you with your next steps. You see, we have a free gift we'd like to give you. And in order for you to receive that gift, all you have to do is visit mycalvary.com forward slash begin. Don't forget to tune in next week for our next podcast. God bless you.